Chapter Twenty Seven of the Friendly Five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Isaacs. The Friendly Five by Mary C. Hungerford. Chapter Twenty Seven. On the Road. The brakeman on the express train stood at the door of the last car, looking through the glass at the scenery which constant travel had made so familiar to him that he was hardly conscious of its wonderful beauty. But a downward glance showed him something much less common, and his face became expressive of great alertness as uttering one or two words of greater strength and force than his ordinary language conveyed. He opened the door and let himself out upon the platform. Well, he said, looking at Marion critically, for an outside passenger, maybe you've got the right kind of a look. But it strikes me if you'd remember to put on your bonnet and brush yourself up a little, you'd have seemed more respectable. Where are you going, my pretty maid, and where did you come from? I got on at the last station, said Marion, seeing only kindness on his face in spite of his gruff tones. I was too late, and I had to jump on after you started, and I lost my hat getting over a fence trying to catch the train. Well, said the brakeman slowly, stealing rides ain't a healthy way of traveling and the company's disposed to fight men and boys who try it. But I don't think they'd ever thought about a girl getting on a flying and riding for nothing. I suppose you'll have to be put off like the rest of them. Likely the rule works same way for hers as him's, and the direction says put him off immediate. Please don't put me off. Please, please don't, said Marianne. I didn't want to steal a ride, but I had a reason for wanting to get on this train, and so, though I was too late, I jumped on after it left the depot. A very dangerous thing to do, said the brakeman soberly. It's more than a wonder you weren't killed. You are not going so awfully fast, said Marianne. But I'm sorry I've broken any rules or done anything you don't like. I have no ticket. But can't I pay my way without one? You can pay the conductor. But I think the first thing to be done is to get you inside. It wouldn't take much to blow you off this platform. He opened the door and gave the girl a seat. The car was not crowded and, being seated so far back, only two or three passengers seemed to notice her entrance. Among these was a tall, angular woman, who put on an appearance of great astonishment at seeing a bare-headed passenger brought in from nowhere. She gazed steadily at Marion for a while, and seemed about to question her, but contented herself by shaking her head at the ceiling and ejaculating, well, I never did. Presently, the man, having gone, 
Marion bent over and executed some mysterious movements which culminated in her bringing to light a crisp new bill. This time, the lady said, Did I ever? addressing her exclamation as before to the car roof. It cannot be wrong to use it, Marion was saying to herself. I shall be put off the train if I do not pay my way, and then perhaps no one can ever find Elfie. Presently the conductor came through the car, looking keenly to right and left for any new face. His eye fell upon Marion, and looking rather curiously at her disarranged dress, he demanded her ticket. I have no ticket, said the girl, but I have money to pay my fare if you will tell me how much it is. Where are you going to? That very natural and proper question was appalling to Marian. She hesitated a moment, thinking very fast how she should surmount the difficulty which had unexpectedly arisen, then answered his question, Yankee fashion, with another. What does it cost to go to the end of the line? Three dollars to go to Troy. Then please sell me a ticket for Troy, said Marion, handing him a five-dollar bill and watching him anxiously while he looked at it scrutinizingly before handing her two dollars and a little certificate, upon which he informed her she could reclaim five cents if she offered it at a station. Marion cared very little for that just then, but she did care for the check he gave her, with the names of all the stopping places printed on the back. The car was full of people with their backs toward the door Marion had entered, and no one had noticed her except those in the farthest back seats. Her appearance excited some remark for a few moments, but no one showed any special curiosity about her except the thin lady in the seat opposite hers. She indeed watched her so closely that she could hardly give any attention to the red wool crochet work that occupied her fingers. There was something that Marion at first thought rather forbidding about her sharp black eyes, but around her mouth was a pleasant, comfortable expression that made it seem quite natural that she should, after a while, lean over toward Marion and stretch out her hand with a big red apple in it. Marion took it with rather a greedy feeling, for she had missed her dinner and was beginning to feel quite hungry. Maybe you'd better sit over here by me, said the donor, pleased to see her apple so well appreciated. You're a sin right in or the sun. How beautifully you crochet, said Marion, gratefully taking the cooler seat. Well, I've done enough to do it middlin' well. What is it to be? asked Marion, not caring much, but feeling that her companion wanted to talk. It's a tam-o-shanter. This is the fifteenth one I've made for the new church organ. What does a church organ one of them? asked Marion, so busy thinking she hardly knew what she said. You seem to be awful dumb for your size, said the crocheter. The ladies of the church have undertaken to buy an organ, 
and we're taking every way to do it. We've had strawberry festivals and clam suppers and a passel bag and a guest cake and even the children had a parlor fair and raised twenty-five dollars. I get a dollar and fifteen cents for these and take it out for the yarn I buy at wholesale. They give a profit of one dollar each for the organ. As she talked, she was opening a traveling bag from which she took a finished cap, a dark blue one, and held it out for Marian's admiration. This, she continued, is one Cousin Sarah Bly in Albany ordered for one of her girls, and I'm going there on a visit. A sudden thought struck Marian. Oh, wouldn't you sell that one to me? Perhaps your cousin would wait till you could make another, and I do need something to cover my head. The woman looked at her thoughtfully. I made sure when I set eyes on you that you'd run away, she said, for no young girl's mother'd let her go trowling without a hat or a bonnet. But you don't seem a wild sort, and maybe you had a good reason for making off. You may have been a bound girl for all I know. However, I don't know's I've any objection to letting you have the dam. It'll be that much extra for the organ. So the purchase was made, and Marian looked much less conspicuous with her head covered. I lost my hat as I ran, explained Marian, and the bushes caught my dress and tore all these places. I've got a hussif with needles and thread, said the woman, and you might sew up the worst of the tears. There's pieces gone out of some of them, but you can cobble them up into some kind of shape and help yourself to look more like decent traveling folks. I don't hold up finery on the road, but I hate rags either abroad or to home. Marian thanked her joyfully. But while she busied herself with the rents, she pondered on the strangeness of hearing from someone else the infelicities of speech that she was beginning to be quite emancipated from herself, for no one meeting her now would believe that she had only lately expressed herself in a more uncouth dialect than her fellow passenger used. Then, as the train slowed up at a station, she became wildly anxious for fear the party she was pursuing might leave the cars unnoticed by her. She felt that it would be very imprudent for her to let herself be seen by Elfie, so she went to the steps at the back of the car and eagerly scanned the people who were getting off. Then, as she came back to her seat, it again occurred to her that she could not even be certain that Elfie was on the train, and this journey of hers might be a foolish exploit, which she could hardly explain satisfactorily to Mrs. Abbott. "'You've got something on your mind,' said the thin, crocheting lady as Marion resumed her seat. "'And if I was you, if it was any wrongdoing, I'd think twice before I kept on with it.' There was something honest and persuasive in her tones, and Marian felt that she was a friend. So, obeying a sudden impulse, she exclaimed, after a searching look into the bright eyes that were looking rather deploringly at her, 
Oh, I do wish you would help me. End of chapter 27 Recording by Nancy Isaacs